0: Well as we come together it is always important that we take some time to pray together and as we have been praying together for our country our leaders it just seems like the pressure cooker is on our country and as we approach the election i don't know if you can feel if you can feel what's what's going on it just it feels like more and more pressure and heat being applied all the time to everything around us. If ever, there, if ever there was a time to do what that song says, to take time and be holy, this would be it. If, if we, if God's holy people do not take seriously what we need to do, who we need to be, how we need to be responding to what's happening around us, um, our country's lost. And I wonder, you know, there are those who would say that our country is already lost, that we've already gone too far down the path. I don't believe that. I believe that there is power in Jesus Christ to change something even that seems impossible to change. That starts with prayer. And it's already starting as people in our church have recognized that prayer needs to happen. We need to be a people of prayer. And so once again, we go to the Lord together. I would ask that you would stand up. Let's pray together. Lord God, there is is a, a time in our country that is coming soon in which we must bend our knee before you, Lord, or I wonder. I wonder where our country is headed. It is scary. You look around at the division that is around us, the division regarding racial inequality, the division regarding opinions about what police should or shouldn't do, the division about what we should be doing health-wise in response to COVID-19. The division all around us, Lord, and now with the election coming up, the division is becoming almost to a fever pitch between the political parties and the different ways of viewing what the right way is. But God, we know the right way. It is you. I do not believe it's too far gone, Lord. I believe that with you all things are possible. And I believe that if we as a people will submit to you, there is a way forward. God, we pray for the leaders of our government. I pray for President Trump, for Vice President Pence. Lord, as they are walking this tightrope of electoral politics leading up to a presidential election and leading a country through All sorts of crisis. God, they need your wisdom. More than ever, Lord, they need your wisdom. I would ask that President Trump and Vice President Pence would hear your still small voice and respond. I pray for our congressmen and women, Supreme Court justices, Lord God, our governor, Governor Walls, here in Minnesota, as they are trying to figure out what to do. Lord, I am concerned about the future of our country, as I have a feeling everybody in this room shares my concern. The power is in Jesus Christ, not in anything else. Our salvation does not come through a vaccine. Our salvation does not come through even... Reforms, whether reforms are good, bad, or otherwise, Lord, that's not our salvation. They can be good, but our salvation comes from you. Reforms that are not informed by you, God, are deformed. We need you, God. We need you, Lord God. We submit. As a church, it's got to start somewhere, Lord. As a church, we submit to you. We need you, God. We need you giving wisdom. Help us to be the light bearers that we have been called to be in this community, in this time, in this place. Give us wisdom and discernment. Help us, God. I continue to pray for the school and the leaders of the school, the teachers that we prayed for last week, the school board members, Lord all of the staff. Lord, Lord, we've been through a week now, and it is different, and it is much more difficult. And yet, we give it to you. We pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, please turn in your Bibles, if you brought them with you today, to Luke chapter 9. Last Sunday, we encountered three amazing stories that displayed the power of Jesus. A power over nature, a power over demons, and a power even over life itself. In all of these stories, the disciples and us, the readers of Luke, were confronted with the question, Who is Jesus? The disciples witnessed the power of Jesus firsthand, and we witnessed it along with them. And now, Lord God, as we open your word again, it's our prayer, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us and through us. We need you to help us understand your word. Amen. We'll start reading in Luke chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever, Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, well, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. Well, we've been studying the book of Luke for many weeks. As I have mentioned to you in a previous sermon, this form of preaching that we are doing is called expository preaching. Expository preaching is preaching in such a way that Scripture itself is the focus. The main ideas of the sermon in expository preaching come from Scripture itself. They come from inside Scripture, not from the outside. Now, this is different than topical preaching, in which the main idea of the sermon comes from a topic outside of Scripture, and then Scripture is used to give helpful information on that topic. Now, both styles of preaching can be good, and there are advantages and disadvantages of both. One of my primary tasks as your pastor is to help you understand and apply biblical truth to your life. I have long felt that for a church to be healthy, It needs a steady diet of expository preaching with topical sermons sprinkled in for flavor. Expository preaching is the meat and potatoes. Topical preaching are like dessert. I believe that one of the weaknesses in today's church is that for many years, these two preaching styles have been flipped around. And what I mean by that is, Most of the messages that are heard in churches today in America are topical and just a few expository sermons are sprinkled in. So it's kind of like most churches are getting dessert all of the time and only getting meat and potatoes every so often. It's flipped around. I don't think that's good. I believe that expository preaching should be the meat and potatoes, the majority. And that's why I do what I do. Now, one of the advantages of expository preaching is that we get to experience the Word of God in one big, connected flow. I believe this is very important because the inspired writers of God's Word meant it to be consumed whole, not in little pieces, like so many Christians often do because the church has trained Christians to take the Bible in little pieces and just eat little pieces here and there. That's topical preaching. Again, topical preaching is not bad unless you do it all the time. Then it becomes problematic because people start to think that their Christian faith is all about taking bits and pieces of Scripture. Do you see that? That's not good. Well, in our passage today, we get to enjoy one of the blessings of expository preaching. I want to begin our study of Luke chapter 9 with some observations on how it is connected with Luke chapter 8. rest of Luke and even the rest of Scripture. Expository preaching takes seriously the idea that Luke organized his gospel on purpose. I want to show you something interesting that we didn't have time to cover last week when we looked at chapter 8. So I want to go back quickly to chapter 8 and just point out one small thing. If you look at chapter 8, verses 38 through 39, this comes from the story of the guy, you remember the guy that was naked? and was demon possessed by a legion of demons you remember that guy so i want to look again at something that this guy said so verse 38 the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him but jesus sent him away saying return home and tell how much god has done for you so the man went away and told all over town how much jesus had done for him interesting now i want to compare this directly with the first part of chapter 9 Only a couple verses later. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Did you catch it? Jesus calls people to different things. For some, like the disciples, Jesus said, drop everything and follow me. Now think about the comparison here. Jesus said to to Peter, he said, Peter, drop everything. You're a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. Stop fishing for fish and start fishing for men and women. That's what Jesus asked Peter to do. It's, It's part of Luke. But think about this now. What does he say to the guy that got all the demons cast out of him? Because that guy, the guy comes to Jesus and he's in his right mind and he's clothed and he's, he's, he's been healed. He's been, really, he's been saved, hasn't he? And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I, and look, look what the words, it, I beg you, let me follow you. I, he's begging Jesus. I mean, the word is begging. Now, Think about that. If someone comes up to Jesus and says, I beg to follow you, what do you expect Jesus to say? Come on! Join the crowd. Join the group of followers. Let's go. You're going to be such a great example because you can tell everybody how the demons were cast out of you. Join me. Follow me. Be with me. I will be your mentor. You will be my mentee. You can be my disciple. The word disciple means follower of Jesus. That's what disciple means. It literally means follower. And Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says to this guy, No! No. There's a word that we all know, huh? A word that even the smallest babes can say. Yes, we understand that word. Yes, exactly. We know what that word means. Can you believe if you just had demons cast out of you and you said you want to follow the person that did it and the guy says, no. Have to work on that. So, isn't that strange? So the first thing I want you to notice, and, and this is where expository preaching is helpful. Do you see it? Jesus doesn't call everybody to the same thing. Jesus does not call everybody to the same thing. And in fact, sometimes when you would expect Jesus to say go, Jesus says stay. Now this is, this is interesting. Because I've heard people say things like, well, I'm not really that important in the kingdom of God. I, I'm just in Bertha. I'm just, and then fill in the blank. I just do this. All I do is name your thing, right? All I do is fix furnaces. That's all I do. All I do is work at the school as a as a para. All I do is stay at home with my kids. All I do is, and then fill in the blank. All I do is I'm retired. That's all. I what, I mean, that's it. I I'm not really that help. No. That is not Jesus saying those things in your ear. We all, what God has called you to do is what God has called you to do. Not all of us are called to be preachers. Don't put preachers and missionaries up on some pedestal and think, well, they're the ones that have been truly called by God. False! False! I, I try to say this to my board of trustees a few times a year, and I hope that the trustees will agree with me when I say this, I'm not the only one who hears the Holy Spirit in this church. The people on our board of trustees have been called to that position by God himself. God speaks to them and through them like he speaks to and through me. Not, I mean, Paul talks about this all the time, not everybody's called to be in the, he's got, he uses the body analogy. Not everybody's called to be a mouth or an ear. Some people are called to be the flappy part of the elbow. Now, I don't know what that means for you, okay? But it, it means that where you are at, if you feel that God has called you to that thing, whatever it is, then do it with all that you are. There are no insignificant jobs in the kingdom of God. Whatever God has called you to do, do it with all of your being. Has God called you to raise children to follow him? Then do it with all of your heart, always looking for opportunities to speak and live out the gospel. Has God called you to to work a job that seems unimportant? Then do it with all of your heart, always looking for opportunities to speak and live out the gospel. Has God called you to be a student? Is this Is that what being a student is? Are you guys just stuck in school until you can get to real life? No! No! Maddie, don't shake your head like that. No! You are a student because that's where you are called to be right now. Not because it's where you're stuck. It's because God's got something for you there. Do it with the best of who you are. Do it completely. Are you retired? Do you feel like there's nothing for you to do? Yes, there is. Absolutely, there is. God has called you to that place. And God sometimes says, you stay here and do this. And sometimes he says to other people, you come and do the thing that I'm doing. He's doing things in both places. Don't get confused and think that because God hasn't called you to be a pastor or a missionary, God hasn't called you to be where you're at. Now, of course, we need to discern. Maybe God's calling you to make a change. I get all of that, right? But that's not the point of this passage, is it? It's very clear. When you read this expositionally, for some, he says, stay and just stay in your hometown and speak about me. For others, he says, go to all these other towns and speak about me. Do you you see the, the comparison here? I think that's a powerful point. Jesus calls people to different tasks in his kingdom. What is your task in the place you are at now? I also want you now to draw your attention to an interesting phrase in this passage that you may have overlooked. Take a look again at verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Okay, he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. They were sent out to preach the kingdom of God. What is that? Well, Jesus actually answers the question. Well, Luke answers the question for us, I want to compare that directly with just a couple verses later. Look at verse 6. So they set out and went from village to village preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Did, did you catch that? Did you catch it? The, Jesus said to the disciples, Go preach the kingdom of God. And then four verses later, the disciples say, So they went out and what did they preach? They preached. The gospel. Now, why didn't Luke put the kingdom of God right there? Because in the first verse, they're supposed to go out and preach the kingdom of God. What? Do you suppose that's on purpose? The kingdom of preaching the kingdom of God is preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel is preaching the kingdom of God. He interchanges these two ideas because they're the same thing. And this is important. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. So when you preach the kingdom of God, that means that the kingdom of God is good news. To preach the gospel means that you are also preaching the kingdom of God. The good news is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the good news. And Luke uses them interchangeably. Now, the church today has largely ignored the concept of the kingdom of God. Even right now, if I asked you to define this term, kingdom of God, do you think you could do it? If an an atheist came up to you on the street and said, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, what is that? What would you say? I don't know if most Christians would have an answer to that question. The kingdom of God? I I let me get a Bible tract out from the Billy Graham Association so I can explain salvation to you. That's what we would say. And then the atheist would say, no, I want to know about the kingdom of God. And then you're like, I will write down the number of my pastor, Pastor Jason Canole. He'll have a good explanation for you. You guys, the kingdom of God and the gospel are interchangeable. You need to know how to explain this. This is important. Like, we're talking about the gospel. If you can't explain the kingdom of God, you are not explaining the gospel to people. Do you understand that? Well, what is, what's going on here? The church today has, we, we've ignored this concept of the kingdom of God. We're much more comfortable talking about the gospel as salvation than talking about the gospel as the kingdom of God. But this passage in Scripture, forces us to recognize that the gospel of Jesus is the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not suggesting that the gospel is not about salvation. It most certainly is about salvation. But I am suggesting that the gospel is more than just about salvation. It is about a much broader idea, and that idea is the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God involves salvation, of course. Of course. But Jesus announced the coming of the kingdom of God in his preaching, and he said it was good news. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, for the next number of chapters we're going to be in, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God all the time. All the time. In fact, when I was in seminary, I had a New Testament class, and one of the first things the New Testament professor said to me is, what's the primary thing Jesus preaches about more than anything else? And so then people... Love, and another person, salvation, and another person, you know, going to heaven. And all of those were wrong answers. Do you want to know what Jesus preaches about way more than anything else? Way more than love. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the primary preaching topic of Jesus Christ. And I think 90% of Christians would have no idea how to even start answering that question. Isn't that strange? Isn't that strange? Right now, could you do it? The kingdom of God is the idea that Jesus is king. And when the king comes, he's going to change everything. And subjects of the king act different. Oh, here we're back to holiness again. Here we are. We're a holiness church. You see... The the way that I've talked to you for for years now, when I say we are not a ticket punch church, you don't get your ticket punched and get to go to heaven. We're not a church that says once you're baptized, you're good. Do you see that? We're a church that says when you become a Christian, it's not just that Jesus is your Savior, Jesus is also your King. You're subjects of the King. That means that your life will now be different. You will now live holy because you are a people that is set apart. Because you're people of a different kingdom. The kingdom of God. Christianity is not just about a salvation experience. Christianity is about a salvation experience that leads to a sanctifying experience. An experience of becoming a citizen of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom has been ushered in by Jesus Christ and will ultimately be ushered in when Jesus comes again and everything changes. But we're living in that kingdom reality now. It's not something that happens then. And this is where we're a little different than other churches in this way. We don't wait for the coming kingdom of Jesus. We're living in the kingdom of Jesus because the kingdom is now. We are citizens of Jesus' kingdom now. He is reigning right now in heaven. And he will come and reign on earth when all is made right. The kingdom of God is the good news. God's coming to make everything right again. Praise God. This would be a, that would be an appropriate time for an amen. Because I don't know if you've looked around, but our world is messed up. Did you just put an amen graphic on the... That was not in my notes. That was, that's Heidi freestyling back there. That was interesting. Don't put, we're not going to have things where we tell people to say amen. It's, you You got to just do it organically. All right, that was good stuff. I, I want to move on to the next story. We've got about 15 minutes left, and I want to connect the next story in. Take a look at verse, uh, chapter 9, starting in verse 10. A very familiar story. When you hear this, you're going to be, oh, yeah. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowds away. So they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, "Uh, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, this is a well known story. And it's not surprising it's well-known because here's a little trivia fact for you. So if you're ever in a Bible knowledge exam or if you're ever like uh, in a Bible quiz, like a, like a game show and you need to win something, this is one of these trivia answers. You ready for this? This is the only miracle of Jesus that's in all four Gospels. This is it. Well, the resurrection. I'm talking a miracle other than the resurrection. Okay. So this is the only miracle that's in all four Gospels. So, obviously, there have been a few sermons over the years on this one. There have been a few Sunday school lessons over the years on this one. This is probably not a real surprising story. You've heard it before. But, there's a few things you maybe haven't considered here. Did you catch that? It was the disciples? Who did this miracle? Did you catch that? Look again at Luke nine thirteen. He replied, you give them something to eat. And I emphasized that when I read it the first time. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. The disciples, imagine this, 5,000 people, the disciples are there, it's, they're having a great time, but it's like, we're in this little village, like we're in Bertha, that's Bethsaida, can like imagine 5,000 people in Bertha having a, a meeting where there's a speaker, right? And the organizers of the meeting go to the, to the main speaker and say, we really got to get these people to like, they, some need to go to Wadena. We got to get some people down to Eagle Bend. Probably send some like to Alexandria, maybe even some to Brainerd. Because we don't have, we got like one restaurant and one gas station. We are not going to be able to feed these people, right? And how, we definitely don't have enough bathrooms. They're going to mess up the campground like you can't believe. The mayor's going to be mad. It's going to be terrible. You see that? I mean, think about that. That's what's going on here. It's 5,000 men. That doesn't count the women and the children. That's a lot of people for Bertha. Have you got that in your mind? And then Jesus says to his disciples, to the 12 guys that are supposed to be like organizing this thing, imagine if this was you. Jesus says, you feed them. (laughs) They're like... Uh, well, I've got 12 bucks. I could maybe head down to Eagle Bend and get something at the gas station. How much do you got? I mean, that's literally what the disciples do. They're like, okay, how much money do we have? Are we gonna? I don't think we got enough. And then consider this look at verse, look at um, again, 13 through 17. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy all this food for the crowd. But Jesus said to them, have them sit down in groups of about 50. The disciples had them sit in groups of 50. So do you have in your brain, the disciples now are going in the crowd, okay, we're going to get about 50 people over here, we're going to get about 50 people over here. Can you imagine that? Okay, so we got that. And then Jesus took the loaves and the fish, gave thanks, broke it, and then he gave the loaves and the fish to the disciples. It was the disciples... Not Jesus, who took the loaves and the fish to the groups of 50. Why does this matter? It was the disciples, not Jesus, who distributed the food. The power for the miracle came from Jesus, but the working out of the miracle came through the disciples. Let that sink in. The power for the miracle came from Jesus, but the working out of the miracle came through the disciples. Do you think that it's a coincidence that Luke put this story immediately after the story of Jesus sending out the disciples to preach the good news and heal people and cast out demons? You see, this is the start of Jesus transferring his power to to his followers. This is where it begins. And it's still happening today. You see, we are the disciples now. The power of Jesus that was so eloquently told us in chapter 8 with the calming of the storm right? The power. And the the healing of the demon-possessed man, the power over demons. And and the healing of the woman who is bleeding, the power over sickness. And even the resurrection of Jairus' daughter, the power over death itself. That power, the same power. By the way, I did not pick that song. That was just Carolyn and the worship team. And it fits perfectly. The same power that not only rose Jesus from the grave, but had victory over the storm and the demon and the sickness and death itself, that same power is distributed through Jesus' disciples in the world for the healing of the world. Is that a message that the church in America needs to hear right now? That's how the power of Jesus gets into the world and Repairs it. That was a good amen. Didn't even need it on the screen. The power of Jesus Christ. Yes. We need to remember church. We cannot fix the things that are wrong in our community and in our country if we are disconnected to Jesus Christ. The power is from Jesus, but the implementation of that power is through us. The disciples of Jesus Christ today are the church. We cannot wait for political leaders to do this. Can we pray for political leaders? Of course. We've been doing it for eight months publicly every Sunday. Yes, of course. Can we pray for our school board? Yes, of course. Can we pray for the people in this community, the people in this? Yes, of course. But we cannot expect the power of Jesus Christ to flow anywhere except through us, to them and out to everybody. This is how it's set up by Jesus himself. And your part to play matters, even if you've been told to stay home while others have been told to go to Africa. Did you hear it? It's not, it's not left up to the pastors and the professional ministry. What a, what a perfect plan of the enemy over the last 2,000 years to make people think, that only the priests and pastors and missionaries are the ones that have access to the power of Jesus Christ. What a perfect plan to stop the church from doing what the church has been called to do, and that is exactly what's happening here. It is the power of God through the people of God to a world that is dying. We are the answer to the problems in our country right now. We are. We are. And not because we're strong, because we're pathetic. So are the disciples. What a band of losers. I can say that because that's exactly how Luke has portrayed them. They never get it. They don't even get it until volume 2, the book of Acts. That's Luke's volume 2. They are pathetic all the way until volume (laughs) 2. And then they're only not pathetic because the Holy Spirit enters them. It's never about them. It's never about how eloquent they are at at sharing salvation to somebody else. It's never about how great they are at administering the things of God or organizing the things of God. It's never any of that. It is 100% completely recognizing you are connected to Jesus. You will be influential in your community. If you are not connected to Jesus, you will be a disaster wherever you go. School board members, mayors, police officers, governors, presidents, I don't care your rank. It's all about being connected to the power source. And that is it. I've used this analogy before, but I'm going to use it again. So, if you've seen this before, that's okay. Let me show you the church in America. You ready for this? Here's the church in America. I can't figure out why nothing's happening. You think that we're going to survive and we're going to thrive and the kingdom of God is going to expand if we rely on our own power to do things? If we just work harder at the things of the church without being plugged into the power of Jesus, that's what we are. But you plug this into the wall. You plug this into the wall. You plug this into where the power is. And sometimes it doesn't work because there's a problem at the other end. That was supposed to light up and be like super like, wow. Oh, I know why. Wait. Wow. Well, that was a failed analogy, but it was, I think you got it, right? Right? Church of God, New Life Church of God in Bertha, Minnesota. We have access to the kind of power in which a storm can stop with a word. We have access to the kind of power in which an army of demons submits and cowers in fear. We have access to a kind of power in which, when everybody in the whole medical community said that woman couldn't be helped, all she had to do was touch the hem of Jesus' garment and she was healed. We have access to a power in which Jesus raises people from the dead. It's the same power. And it comes from Jesus through us if we will only be faithful. And you know what we need to do? Just just distribute the food. (laughs) Our whole job is just to distribute the food. Now, I'm reading a lot into this one story. But do you see, when you put this together in expository preaching, It becomes alive. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any sword. But stop taking bits and pieces. We need to read the whole thing, consume it, let it nourish us, and let it flow from us to our community around us. And Is there an amen for that? Come on. We can do this because of Jesus' power. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That the same power that rose you from the grave, the same power that calmed the storm, the same power that made the demons flee, the same power that brought healing from sickness, the same power that raises from the dead is within us. And you've asked us to go and distribute it. Yes, our country is in a mess. Yes, it seems impossible. It is not impossible if we remain plugged in to the power source. God, made this church and these people be a people that are completely plugged into you, Lord God. We pray these things in your powerful name, Jesus Christ. Amen.